episode of Sorry for Your Loss, a podcast where we talk about talking about grief. I'm your host, Ellen Schwartz. This podcast was created to show how friends can support people in their life who are grieving by presenting a series of conversations that I've had with friends and family. In the last episode, we met Amanda, who talked about her grief following the deaths of her mother and father. If you haven't heard that episode, I do recommend you pause this one, hop one back, and get to know Amanda and her experiences. For this episode, Amanda part two, if you will, she's really filling in the gaps in my grief knowledge. Basically, I don't know what I'm not asking since I haven't been through this myself. It's very easy for me to focus on the parts of death and dying that are very surface level, and that would pertain to me as a listener of someone's story. But Amanda is taking us in a way behind the scenes of her story. She'll talk more about how she was with each of her parents when they died and how those processes were very much a part of her grief and most likely are for many people and why that part of the story isn't readily shared. You can hear in her voice how difficult it still is to relive these experiences years later. It's a bit of a trigger warning for this episode. The stories are at a pretty high level. They are not graphic by any means but I wanted to give you a heads up to anyone listening who has lost someone to cancer or to a heart attack. It could be tough to relive it with her, especially describing the scene with her dad. My heart raced with her words, and I have nothing to directly relate this to. I hope no one listening can relate either, but given you are listening to a podcast about grief, that some of you can. And I'm sorry for your loss too. As always, thank you for listening. If you have thoughts on this podcast or this episode, send them my way. Contact details will be at the end of this episode. And now I'm presenting to you, Amanda, part two. Hi. Hi. I'm back. Our internet died right as you were getting to the good part, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, Ellen? Ellen? Okay. So what I was saying is that the questions that we were talking about in terms of what had, um, like, the process, what I was feeling or thinking immediately after each of my parents died or what friends did or didn't do that was helpful or not, um, and then sort of the process over time of what that grief has looked like, I think are all really significant. And they, on the other hand, though, they all start from after losing a parent. So they all focus on sort of after that parent has died. Um, and I realized, I was just thinking about it since we talked, um, and realizing another part of part of my sort of processing in all of those phases was not just, oh, my parent is no longer with me, but also what it was like to be with them when they were dying. And that, that, that process leading up to them no longer being here was also really significant in all of those phases as well. And I don't know that that would be true for everybody, but I would imagine it would be true for a lot of people. And so I felt like that was important to put out there as well, because I think that's also really uncomfortable for a lot of people to have in conversations. Like, let me tell you about when my parent was like about to die versus let me talk to you about now that my parent's dead. Like neither of those feel innately easy conversations, but they're both significant, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, you're also in a unique position because both your parents had pretty unique to each other, unique experiences. I know your mom, you said it was, you know, I think you said off and on for 13 years that she had cancer. Yeah. And yeah. And your dad, I know it was sudden and very unexpected. Right. And I was there for both of them, which is um, not true for a lot of people, you know, and, in, and I, I don't think 
you know, people talk about like, is it easier to lose someone after an illness when you have time to say goodbye? Or is it easier to lose someone all at once because, you know, you don't have that prolonged, like there's, there's no easy, right. It's just different. And so, um, I don't, I think for me being there for both of them, I feel incredibly grateful that I was, but that's not to say that that makes my experience easier or harder than somebody who wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, it's different, but it's also a process and it's something that you would still, you need a lot of support through both of those. Right. Yeah. So for my mom, so my mom, we talked about did was sick on and off for 13 years, Um, but through large stints of that, you know, she was healthy. And also, um, as a major credit to my mom, I never felt like it was a big deal that she had cancer. Um, partially because I was little, I was in third grade when she first had breast cancer. And so I just think developmentally, my brain couldn't fully wrap my head around it. But I also think for her, she just was like, I, you know, I'm going to be transparent and like, you're going to see me when I'm sick after getting chemotherapy, but also like, we're still going to go to that play date thing you were looking forward to or whatever like she it was really important to her that that didn't overthrow our whole reality I guess um and so she was you know she was sick when I was in third grade she was sick when I was in fifth grade she was sick my senior year of high school and then the summer before my senior year of college um was when we found out her cancer had moved beyond breast cancer to metastasize in other parts of her body Um, And so then I ended up stopping what I was doing in college with student teaching and being at home with her for between two and a half and three months while we had hospice in the house. And so my dad kept working. My siblings were both in school. And, you know, like I, we all were impacted in that hugely. But, you know, like I spent nights sleeping with a baby monitor because she couldn't get in and out of bed. And I would have to get up in the middle of the night to get her out of bed to sit with her while she took pain meds and took care of her body needs and then helped her get back in bed and tucked her in, you know, like, I, and, and many, many other stories that, I mean, that was a really intense experience. And I'm also so blessed that I had and is a huge part of shaping that whole process of her dying to me is, or no longer being here is that I was with her during, in a really intense way during those last months that she was alive. Yeah. So not only is it that you've lost your mother, but you've had kind of a routine for the last three months and now it's completely different. So you've got kind of like a huge U-turn almost in just what you could have relied on as, you know, your day-to-day routine, going to work or going somewhere else. You don't have that either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of things where you're like, no, I would never do that. Like that's gross or that's not something that makes me feel comfortable or that isn't something I would want to do. And then you're faced with somebody like, you know, close to you. And in this case, my mom who is like sick and needs something. And you're like, yep, I'll do that. Like hundred percent. And one of my mom's, one of my parents, really good friends wrote me a card after she had died um, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like that she had watched me and worked with me over the past couple of months and um, knows how hard that was and said, I hope you find some comfort in this quote. And it basically said, you did your best with what you had and you did it out of love. Um, and I think that is like, like that still has so much feels attached to me, like so many years later, because just knowing that it's like, was what you did like perfect? No, you know, like, could you in re- reflective ways maybe done certain things better? Sure. Like, 
in the intensity of it, like you did your best with what you had and you did it out of love. And I think um, people who are the closest to me, it is important to me that they have some window into what that experience was like for me um, because it's really intense. Um, and I feel like I am much more, um, many more people know that my mom has died and is not around than know details about what it was like for me to take care of her in the last month she was alive, because that feels a lot harder. Um, and in, you know, when we were talking about how I remember that shift between me when I thought about my mom not being overwhelmed by like grief or sadness and instead the first thoughts being like a funny joke or a memory or like a warm, fuzzy feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And that shift happening, a lot of what was in my mind before that shift happened was like replaying or sitting in or feeling through a lot of those final months of caring for her. So, Yeah. Yeah. While you were caring for her, did it feel like a shift in responsibility as well? Like, I think that's kind of a, a rite of passage into adulthood that doesn't come until a lot later for people is like when you realize that it's either kind of equal that you're caring for your parents as equal adults, or there's a shift to where the child starts caring for the parent. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that it felt as much like a maybe it's just word choice. When I hear shift, I sort of like makes me think that like, I'm like, oh, I'm turning this way and then I'm turning the other way. Like it feels like it's more like a, I don't know, movement. This was like almost like a 90 or 180. It was like, boom. Like I instantly went from being like, I'm in college and I'm living with roommates and I'm going to be student teaching and I'm 22 and like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, to like, I am going to stop doing all those things because my mom is so sick that like, this is, this is it. Um, and I remember, I very clearly remember what that moment of realization felt like. And it felt like running into a wall. Um, and so shift, yes, but like shift feels like too mild of a word almost, I guess, for what that initially, that initial realization that I needed to do this was. And then I think that's how it felt was like, okay, like, this is what I need to do. Like, this isn't, like, dad needs to keep working, sister needs to keep being a high school student, brother needs to keep being a freshman in college. Like, I need to do this. And I don't want to make it seem like I was the only one um, doing that because we were all involved. Um, But I, we needed someone to just be there all the time um, and trade out with volunteers when they were able to. And that was me. So. I mean, that's, that is really intense. And you were young. What, yeah. you, what you did to cope or did you need to kind of get a release from that at certain points in time? Yeah. So, um, I was only an hour and a half from where I went to undergrad. And so there was a couple of weekends where I would just drive up and spend time with all my college friends, um, for like, you know, a Saturday, Sunday, and then come home. And that was really nice to just go back and be like, I'm a human. I'm doing these things. I have my own life. Um, And then actually one of my saving graces is uh, one of my friends that I grew up with um, had had a baby the year before. So he was like nine to 12, 
10, 11, 12 months old while I was there, like just plus or minus a year old. And he had a lot of allergies. And so she had actually moved back to our hometown and was a mom um, with this baby. And so she, in her own way, had this life that had a sudden big, you know, turn to it. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a ton of time with her. So I would, in the evening, after my dad was home and my siblings were home and I didn't need to be primary on point person for my mom, I would go over to my friend's house because she couldn't leave because she had her son asleep. Um, and I would hang out with her and we just, it, it didn't matter. We would eat apple pie. We would watch a movie. We would just talk. We would have tea. Um, and we both have since talked that that was like, that was sanity for each of us in different ways. Like that was her way to be the first person she knew that was a mom and be stuck at home after this kid goes to bed. Right. Cause she was a single mom and not being able to go anywhere. And that was my sanity to be able to, you know, leave the house and connect with somebody who was my peer and not be a caregiver. So that was huge. Yeah. That sounds, it kind of feels to me like when, similar to if it were two moms, like someone who you can, you're not talking to your kid anymore. You're, you can have an adult conversation and it can right. be about what you're Right. Yeah. And you know, at that point, like I had just graduated college. So like I had come home and lived with my parent, my family, you know, over breaks or on summer vacations or in the winter or whatever. But like, I hadn't like lived, lived at home for like a long stint of time since I had graduated high school. So in that regard, that was a shift for me too, where all of a sudden for the first time in, you know, four years, I was for extended months living at home with my family, um, which I, I love my family, but that was a really, uh, you know, that was really different than being like, I'm an independent college kid living in an apartment with my college friends. Um, right. And so it, that was nice to be able to just see my friend and be like, I'm a 22-year-old. I have a friend. We talk about 22-year-old things. Um, <laughs> it was nice, too. Yeah. I mean, I lived at home after undergrad, and that alone was stressful. And so then to have all of the added stress of your mom being sick, I think I can very much understand the need to, like, get away. Yeah. Yeah. Not think about it for an hour or two. Right. So how does that all then compare to when you're dad died. Yeah. So my dad died really unexpectedly. And, um, that was also super intense cause I, I was with him. Um, so we were in the Netherlands for my sister's wedding. Um, so we were there with my brother, my sister, my soon to be brother-in-law and my cousin who is one of the daughters of a sister, my dad's sister, who he's incredibly close to. Um, and they were all going to come over later for the wedding, but we were all like traveling around for two weeks ahead of when my sister was scheduled to get married. And so we had all traveled together for about a week um, up in the northern part of Holland. And then we were had like one last day and we were going to go out for like a, a bike ride and a walk. Um, and then we were going to get on the train and head down south and meet um, my sister's soon to be in-laws, her parents, her, my, my brother-in-law's parents and his brothers, and then kind of get settled in that area and start setting up for the wedding. And so early in the morning, my cousin, my dad, and I decided to take these bikes we had rented out for one last bike ride. And so we started walking from this Airbnb that we had been staying in. And then, um, he, I, I'm not prepared to talk through the details, so I'm not going to, but he had a series of just like, you know, I'm not feeling well. I can't breathe. I'm feeling this. I'm feeling that. And then, um, 
ended up collapsing. Um, and so my cousin was, I, so anyway, through all this process, like I was talking to him, I was touching him, I was telling him where to sit and what to do. And he was like putting trust in me and my cousin was there. Um, and then he ended up collapsing and I, like, I, I was holding him and like easing him to the ground. Um, and my cousin did CPR and people around us were helping and an ambulance came and we were waiting forever for the ambulance to come and trying to find my brother and my sister so they could like be there and know what was going on. And, um, my brother was the last to arrive, which was super intense. And so then we sent my brother in the ambulance because we had to ride to this next town over. Um, and they worked on my dad for over an hour and ended up not being able to revive him. Yeah. Um, and then so we were in the ER. And then so now we're up north um, in a country that is not ours and with no place to stay because we were traveling, supposed to be traveling that day. And this all, this all happened really early in the morning, um, which would have been by the time. So then even with the time change, by the time that we were like, okay, like, this is it, he's gone. Like, we need to figure out what we're doing. It was still only like 5am here in this, in the Midwest and in, in the United States. So like my cousin had to call her mom, which she said was like one of, you know, the hardest conversation she's ever had to have because um, she was scheduled to get there in like, you know, five days, see him and stuff like that. And then we had to figure out how do we navigate this in a country that is not ours um, right. with right. plans that we already had in place. And my sister is supposed to get married six days later. Um, so that was incredibly intense also, but for very different reasons, obviously, than losing my mom. Yeah. And so that was, you know, a wave of like, what do we need to do now when we're most immediately in this country and what do we happen? And then it's, what do we need to do when we get back, you know, over the next couple of weeks of this extended trip? And then what do we need to do when we get back to the United States? Yeah. Um, and what do we need, you know, and like figure out what's going to happen with these plans that my dad had in place and how do we close that up? And then since my mom's not around, like, how do we close up this estate now, you know, that they owned a house, you know, just they owned cars, they had an electric bill, they have a credit card bill, they had, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and you don't know what all these things are because it's like, it's not my financial affairs, it's somebody else's. And right. my dad had things like sort of organized, but you know, he was, he was 62. So I feel like a lot of people kind of try to make their lives some people not all people a lot of people as they age start thinking about like how do I make my life more like organized or how do I make key people in my life know how my life is organized or just sort of like thinking about that mm -hmm. and you know I don't feel like people do that at 62 um so we had a lot of detective work to do <laughs> so back to the original you know question is um you know, part of, of that loss of grieving somebody who's no longer there is also that intensity of, you know, rushing someone in an ambulance and being in an ER and having a doctor come and tell you that like, that's it, you know, um, that's also super intense. And, you know, like I said, like, I think I mentioned when we talked last week, like I didn't realize the different, you know, traumas that I had around that until I was like out running and totally unrelated months later in Kansas city. And some guy had collapsed and th there's neighbors around them and I just came upon them and they were waiting for an ambulance to come and he, he was fine, but just like people anxiously waiting next to somebody who was there for an ambulance and you're hearing sirens and trying to judge how close they are. 
Like, yeah. whoo, that was really hard for me. No Because um, <laughs> like that, that, you know, we're like sitting there doing CPR on my dad and being like, where's the ambulance? We need it to get here now. Um, right. And then just hearing an ambulance and trying to judge how close the sirens are based on the noise for something totally unrelated. Like, whoo, you know, that was yeah. intense. That's, um, I think, a literal living nightmare at that point. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, I, I, I know this is, you know, a grief observed, right? But for, for both of my experiences, it's very much like, what is it like to live my life without this particular parent, right? Or my parents in total. Um, and then it's also, what is it like to process and organize and make sense of, of them dying and being in, in, in that with them? And I, I think, you know, even for like, you know, caring for an elderly parent in whatever capacity, like, I just feel like when someone's gone, it's not just, you know, they're gone from your life. It's also this major, this, whether it was caring for someone for a really long time and this role you've had has shifted or whether it was something like really intense and sudden and, you know, traumatic in that way, that's part of it too. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can see how that would be a very real part of it. I mean, even if your, I guess it, my thought being like, even if your dad had survived that, it would still have been traumatic for you to see the man on you know, collapse and it, you would still have to live through that. So it's definitely, I think there's probably some grief just associated with a tra- traumatic event. Absolutely. So yeah, for that to all then be compounded. Yeah. Absolutely a part of that experience. And I think, you know, like, I think when, you know, the, the topic of your podcast where you have people engaging, like how do you engage as a friend or as somebody close to somebody who's experiencing grief? I don't have any answers for how to, well, really for any of it, but for how to engage with people about like the process of losing that person or the process of that person dying. But I feel like at the very least, just like knowing that that might very likely be part of the story or that might be part of what the person you care for is thinking through or feeling through or trying to negotiate, you know, it's like layers of conversation, right? Like telling someone that my mom has passed away, that feels like, you know, that's, that has gotten easier over time, but that feels like a lower risk thing to offer informationally, right? And then, you know, from there, there's closer and closer in, right? So there's, you know, how'd she die? Or when did she die? Oh, she died 15 years ago. How did she die? Oh, she had breast cancer. Like, oh, you know, and then like closer and closer into like, what was that process like? Or for what duration? Or, you know, the final days or months that she was alive? Or the the first days or months that she wasn't here? Like those get closer and closer and harder and harder to talk about. And so as a result, I think which of the people in my life, what level of that they know about is very different depending on who they are and what their role is in my life. Yeah. Just that level of intimacy. Yes. It would would apply. Yes. So a new friend though should not be hesitant to ask you about it and then be understanding if you say, actually, I'm not comfortable talking about that right now. Sure. And even just realize, I think, yes. And 
know that if someone's like, if I'm just talking about like, yep, you know, like if we have a conversation and I'm like, yes, you know, my mom passed away. She passed away in 2013. Just knowing that like, I need that information to not overwhelm you because there is piles more that I am not giving you. So like, you know, I, we don't need to go into that piles more. Right. But I need that as much as possible. I don't need someone to be, you know, unreal to themselves. Like if that is overwhelming for you, like, I don't need you to deny that, but just know that most likely there's a lot more also. Yeah. Just in an empathetic sense. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, I'm, it's kind of amazing to me, even that you're so, you're awesome, first of all, for opening up the bubble. <laughs> but I'll, I mean, it is, it is just kind of amazing to me that there is so much more. I knew you when your dad died, but there's, I've learned lots. I've, there's levels of this that I didn't know about either. And that to me, it's, I'm, I'm not hurt at all by all means, but it's kind of amazing. It's like, I thought I knew about it. And I knew that like, you've got close friends, you have your husband, you've got people who are around you. And I knew that you were like processing this, obviously, but. Yeah. And part of it, part of it too, is, you know, like it is for me a little emotionally and mentally exhausting. Mm-hmm. Anytime I like put myself back in that moment of like telling the story of what happened right to any degree. And so like, I'm not going to do that with everybody I know, not because I don't believe you as a friend would be a good person to confide that information to, or that I couldn't confide that to you, or you wouldn't hold that information or do something with it that was of value. But just that like, I, for me, can't do that 40 times. Like that's too much for me. That's exhausting. Um, So I think it's, it's both parts. And the other part too, that's so hard is, like I told you these stories, you know, to some, like there's more details, of course, but I, I told them from my perspective, but like the, those stories are also layered with the fact that like my brother experienced and felt those differently. And my sister experienced and felt those differently. And while I can't speak for their stories, the fact that those experiences are different than mine, that impacts our relationship with each other. Right. Cause while I'm trying to navigate my grief process. I'm also trying to navigate my relationship with my sister as she navigates her grief process and my relationship with my brother as he navigates his grief process. And inevitably, because we're all different people and have experienced that differently, we're going to have points where we, conf- where we conflict with each other, where what one of us needs or what one of us does not want is not aligned with the other person. And so mm-hmm. we make it worse for each other or better for each other but like you're nav you're not navigating it in an in your own island either and you each also had different relationships with the people who've died absolutely a family absolutely yeah well thank you for sharing and for starting your day with this (laughs) (laughs) that's intense Yeah. Well, um, I appreciate you really willing to ask the question and just, I don't know, I'm curious to see how you will hold space for, for weaving that story together. Yeah. This whole, I'm so glad that I've done this. Being able to listen, I think is such a privilege and for everyone to be willing to open up in this way has just been really amazing. In that awestruck sense of the word amazing. Yeah. And when I, and I think of it, you know, like you are creating, like asking questions and creating space to listen for topics that people often are not 
asked to talk about. And I think, you know, people have relationships and connection to you and feel like they can step into that space. So we'll, we'll see how I feel when it's a podcast and other people can listen to it. (laughs) Yeah. I have started to joke that it's like, um, you know, this project started because I felt like I didn't know what to say, which for me is a very odd experience. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, like for me to figure out that the very simple answer to a lot of this is actually just, you just ask and it might, it's going to be awkward and it's going to be sad, but you just ask and people will, you know, let you in at that kind of like you just said, the level that they're comfortable with. But for me to figure that out, I had to like create a whole podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the other thing too, is just like trusting your relationships with people. Like I, I had a good friend of mine who we had a connection over cause we both had lost our moms. Um, and then I lost my dad and then he since then has also lost his dad. So we're now in the shared space, right. Of having lost both parents. Um, and so I called him and soon after his dad died and I asked him several questions and he, you know, like appreciated me calling and gave me answers to a couple of them. And then to my next question just said, you know, Amanda, I appreciate you asking, but I just, I can't think about that right now. It's not where I'm at. That's a little overwhelming to me. And I was like, great, like, no worries. Like, just let you know, I'm thinking about you. Um, and I think the other part is of what you're saying is just asking is then being okay with when people say like, either don't answer or straight up tell you like, I can't do that right now. And then just know that that's like no reflection on me or our friendship or, or them as a person. It's just like, that's, that's it for now. Um, and then who knows, you know, the next time I talk to him in some other way, maybe that exact topic will come up or maybe it won't. Um, and maybe he'll feel totally different about it, or maybe I'll feel totally different about it. So that just that it, you have to have that grace that it has nothing to do with me or our relationship and that it won't change over time. Yeah. Like just knowing that those, that there are people who I can go to who I can trust our relationship is fine to talk about this, even though I've maybe not asked about it before. Right. Yeah. Like it's just a, a privilege and an honor really just that people are it feels good in this way that I know that people will open up to me. Absolutely. So, well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thank you. And you too. And good luck with your, uh, your water heater. Oh, geez. I know living the adulthood dream. <laughs>in about the water heater because it illustrates how casual these conversations can be, even though there is nothing casual about the topic of death and dying. Sometimes it really can be as simple as moving from how your parents died to is your water heater fixed or vice versa. It's very just a normal conversation between friends. I also very much meant what I said at the end. It's been a privilege to listen to people's stories. And even though I've thanked people for talking with me, I think every one of them has also thanked me for even asking them and for opening the opportunity for them to share about their loved one. I hope that idea alone encourages you listeners to ask someone you care about about their experience or make it very plain that if they want to talk, you want to listen. And as always, thank you for listening to Sorry for Your Loss. For links to any referenced sources, articles, or websites in this episode, visit sorryforyourlosspod.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at sorryforyourlosspod. If you really loved what you hear, be sure to subscribe or leave a five-star rating.